Amen. We're going to release the children, but before we do, let's, let's do a little Hosanna-ing. I see you're all in the mood for this. <laughs> this is, have, have you guys yell out Hosanna? Hosanna! All right, pretty good. Can you guys do better? Hosanna! Hosanna. Try it one more time. Excellent. Yes, the people yelled at the top of their lungs to Jesus and laid down their cloaks for the the donkey. What an exciting day that was. And so happy Palm Sunday. Now we'll release the kids. We got them kind of riled up. (laughs) Not that riled. If if you're four years old through fourth grade, you may be dismissed. It's all, all up to your parents. First of all, turn in your Bible. Let's go ahead and read uh, one of the accounts of Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday because they did raise palms. I mean, um, wave palms is what they meant to say on this day. It mentions that in one of the Gospels. It's in all four Gospels. It's one of the important events that's recorded for us. And it, it approaches what the church has come to call Holy Week, which is this week. It, it initiates Holy Week, and it comes up to what we call Good Friday. And we're pretty sure, some people argue over it, but we're pretty sure uh, that that's the day Jesus Christ was crucified on Friday. Uh, again, to me, I have no heart for the debate. Some people want to debate it, which day was it? doesn't really matter. The fact is he was crucified uh, for our sins. That's what matters, okay? But let's just go with me. Let's say Friday, and we have a good Friday service. And then, uh, then he was buried Friday evening, Saturday, and he rose Sunday morning uh, on Resurrection Sunday, often called Easter in English. And so that'll be next Sunday. That's the, the Holy Week time uh, for Christians around the world, although the... Now, it's interesting. The Coptics were celebrating Palm Sunday. So I don't know if... They were, right? Yeah. So theirs must coincide with ours this year. It, it varies from year to year, but this is a year that actually coincides. Interesting. Because um, I, I just thought, wait a minute, Orthodox have a different schedule. But <laughs> this year it coincides. So... That's what, in general, the, the, the lay of the land uh, of why we call this Sunday uh, different. And I, I often, almost always, take a break from our normal study. I've been studying 1 Corinthians uh, to preach on the day itself today and, and next Sunday, Lord willing. So again, Matthew 21 is one of the accounts, and I just wanted to lay it out there uh, in in the text, in the narrative, in the history, uh, this is the way Matthew recorded it for us. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, some interesting linguistics here really quickly. Hosanna, um, the meaning of that is actually help us please or save us please. Uh, it's in Aramaic in the form we, we have it here. And it, it means please save us with a sense of urgency. And because, you know, when I was raised, I always thought, oh, it's just another way to say hallelujah. It's another way of worshiping God. And then when you actually find out, they're at, they're, they are praising God, but they're looking to Jesus as their deliverer. And there's a sense of praise in that because the person to whom you look for deliverance is somebody that has the power to deliver you. Right? Uh, simple illustration, right? If, you, if your car gets broken... You take it to the mechanic, and if, if you're like me, you kind of have a sense like, oh, please fix this, <laughs> you know? You don't want to plead with him. You don't want to actually get on your knees and beg, but in your heart you're saying, please tell me it's something you can fix without a great deal of expense, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and and this, is, this is that idea on a much greater scale because uh, the people are saying, you are the one who can save us. We've seen your power uh, actually, one of the Gospels says they were particularly gathered that day because they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead or they had heard about that particular miracle. It happened just a little while ago. A guy was dead for four days. He was dead, dead, dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So he'd revealed power, huge power. And so they were worshiping Jesus that day. Now, what I want to uh, pick up on is that question in the text, who is this? Or who is he? And it echoes a psalm, which is a beautiful, wonderful psalm, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's psalm number 24. We read Psalm 62, and that would be very supportive of many of these same ideas. 
But Psalm 24 is a glorious, energetic expression of the very nature of God. And to me, it's been tied to Palm Sunday probably for the history of the church. Um, and Handel's Messiah has it a, as a big section in, in there too. So let's look together at Psalm 24. Let's just open with prayer before we dive in more deeply. Lord, we praise you and, and our hearts do cry out, help us, O oh Lord. We see our weakness and our inability. We see our sin ever before us. And in your grace, Lord, turn our hearts toward you to re- repent of our sin, to turn away from it and, and turn to you in humble reality saying, help us, forgive us, save us, strengthen us, use us for your glory, we pray. So thank you for your precious word. Guide us today on this Palm Sunday 2017. Bless us as we read and study Psalm number 24. Through Jesus Christ alone, we only pray. Amen. So here is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. So I think rightfully understood Psalm 24 and the events of Palm Sunday can be held in in a sense of contrast. Things are not always as they appear to be. Uh, I almost almost want to say there is an alternative truth. This is a political joke these days, you know. One thing seems to be the truth, and lo and behold, something else is true. Uh, Sometimes two things are true that do seem to contradict each other. For example... What does this look like? He he looks like he owns nothing. Jesus, he looks like he owns nothing. He has to go out and find a donkey. And he doesn't own the donkey. He's just going to have to borrow it. 
Um, it's kind of interesting. I always like this uh, scene because um, I like to ride. I ride a motorcycle now, and I used to ride bicycles uh, a lot. And, you know, whenever you park a bicycle, you lock it up really carefully. And if somebody sort of saunters up to it and starts taking your bicycle away, you're going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> you, this is mine. I'll call the police. Or, or imagine you go past, and maybe you decide to drive up the coast today, and you go, go past Moss Landing, and there's a, there's a biker bar there. There's like 75 beautiful Harley Davidsons. Just walk up to one and sort of hotwire it and take it. And, you know, and if somebody asks you anything about it, Jesus needs it. <laughs> okay then, yes, no problem. Take the bike. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. This is an amazing power and miracle of Jesus going on here that the very valuable, um, you know, I don't know, what do you call a mother donkey? I'll call her a mother and her baby, okay? I'm not a farmer. <laughs> uh, they, they take them both from this individual and he lets them have it. But it, it, what does it say? That it, Well, he doesn't own anything. And, and you know what? That's true. Jesus didn't, it says he doesn't even have a bed to lay his head. Kind of like homeless. You know, he lived... lived uh, all around and borrowed people's homes constantly. I mentioned Lazarus already. He was such good friends with them. They were actually pretty well off. They were, you know, middle class or upper middle class. And he stayed there a lot and they fed him a lot. And he, they were kind of like the hotel for Jesus. But what is actually true? You know, Psalm 24 starts with this. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It looks like he needs to borrow a donkey, but the reality is it is his. He doesn't have to borrow it. It's his. The temporary owners are stewards of that donkey and its colt, but it is the property of the Lord's. When, so when they say the Lord needs it, they're saying the actual owner hmm, of this donkey needs it. Let's apply that to our own lives. Who owns our donkeys? Hmm? Who owns our property? Who owns our, our cars, our, our time, our life? And, and notice the text does say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's, that's all of the good stuff. Uh, this is quoted by Paul when he says, hey, you can eat anything because uh, all of it is for us to eat. The world and those who dwell therein. This is such a counter-cultural message in America. This verse says that God owns you. You are not yourself. You don't own yourself. God owns you. You are the property of God. Uh, you are a steward of what is his in your body. The reality is everything is his and everyone is his. So here's some uh, thoughts about that. Reality, everything is his and everyone is his. He owns it all because he created it all. The Bible's really clear on this. God created it and he owns it. Here's some verses on that. Just, just a sampling. Some of the Psalms. Uh, 
Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Here's Exodus 19, 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And here's Job 41.11. And actually this is folded into one of the beautiful benedictions in the New Testament. Uh, in It's uh, Romans 11. There's Job 41.11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? A lot of people think God owes them something, right? You owe me this. And he says, no, 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 no. No one has given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, God says. And look how Isaiah 45 is a fantastic passage of Scripture. I I like to refer to it every once in a while. And here's uh, Isaiah 45, verse 12 and verse 18. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. He uses his voice. The Bible doesn't say only that he created. The Bible clearly teaches how he created. He used his voice to create it. He stretched out the heavens. So so the big argument, well, that star is you know several billion light years away so that proves the age of the universe well no the bible says he stretched it out uh, with his hands it has the appearance of age but it could be and probably is much younger you know the bible says in in a day god created a redwood tree and if a logger had come and cut that down how long do i have to do that <laughs> a long time. This is a massive redwood tree. Oh, it's 2,000 years old. No, no. One day. One day old. Anyway, this is the ownership and power of God. He stretched out the heavens and he commanded with his voice all their hosts. And here's Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says Yahweh, the Lord, who created the heavens. He is God. See, the very nature of God is all-powerful. He's a being that transcends our ability to understand. We will never understand God. He's the infinite, powerful God who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Inhabited. uh, This is my rendition of that word. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 18. He made it to be lived in. I am the Lord, and there is no other. What's my point here? Jesus willingly came in this amazingly humble fashion. He willingly humbled himself. The Bible says he actually emptied himself of his divine 
freedom to exercise. He could have, you know, he could have created the donkey. He could have created a, a Harley Davidson that day. Now that would have created a stir. Or, or an F-16. Or an M1 tank. That would have created a stir. I mean, seriously, he's infinitely powerful, but he suppressed all of that to borrow a donkey to symbolize that he's the humble donkey-riding Savior. And in the era in which we still live, he's still the humble donkey-riding Savior that's easy to reject. It's amazingly simple to make fun of him and to belittle him. But the Bible says, look out, because things are not always as they appear. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Creator God. He owns it all. And He's coming humbly to die for our sins, to take away our sins. He's the, the Lamb of God, a simple Lamb to take our sin. But He owns it all because he created it all and I am his and you are his. You are his. Don't think you're unrelated to God. He he owns you. You are his. He's calling you to come to him today. Okay, that's the first. There's three points I have. The first is it looks like he doesn't own anything but he actually owns everything the second one is he looks like it looks like the real power people those people who are educated intelligent the academics those who run Yale and Columbia and Harvard and et cetera et cetera Berkeley <laughs> um, those folks are rejecting him but the reality is the the wonderful thing is the humble folks are crying out to him for help. Sinners humbly cling to him and worship him. Look at, it looks like all the important people are rejecting him. Uh, what happens at the end of the day, as I said, they, they rise up and crucify him. A few people, inconsequential people, yelled out, Hosanna, and yet they were able to arrest him and do whatever they wanted to him. They held him held him, they beat him, they had a terrible trial of him, they executed him uh, on the cross. It, it just looks like he's a nobody, he's a nothing, uh, he's not worth our trust. But look at, look at the psalm again, see how it ties into this. It says, well, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And this is what I want to say about this. Humble people cling to him. Humble people worship him. What does God require? The arrogant, the well-educated, the Pharisees uh, rejected him, laughed at him, mocked him, and, and uh, dismissed him to the point of crucifying him. Uh, but what does God require of us? Well, this psalm says he requires clean hands and a pure heart. 
Who has that? I am a sinner. I, I have to turn to him for, re, for forgiveness, for cleansing. I cling to him. I cry out, Lord, help me. I know God requires clean hands and a pure heart. See how this psalm develops this idea. He requires that we do not worship what is false. See, right here in the text it says, who does not lift up his soul. He doesn't worship what is false. And he does not swear deceitfully. Swearing deceitfully. That sounds like what the Pharisees are up to. Uh, they're, they're, they're actually paying people to say false things about Jesus and encouraging people to bear false witness against Jesus in order that they can crucify him. And what does God require? That we come humbly and come needing his forgiveness and needing his love. And see how this develops in this text. It says, how can we achieve this? By re repenting of our sin and turning to him for our salvation you will then receive a blessing from the Lord. Look, look at the text again. Verse 5. He will receive a blessing. So the person who comes repenting of their sin, asking for forgiveness, I think that's what's implied here, clean hands and a pure heart, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. The Lord will bless them, not curse them, but will bless them. And righteousness, righteousness will be a gift when we repent of our sins, he will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. We humbly come to him. We humbly beg his forgiveness. And the Bible says, repent and believe and you will be saved. And look at this verse 6 again. It says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So on that day, something like 2,000 years ago, it looked like the powerful people had, all, had it right, ultimately. They could crucify Jesus, they could dismiss him, they could do anything they want with him. And these poor, humble people crying out, can't you fix this, please? And I don't have the money to pay for this repair. You have to fix it. I, my hands are not clean. My heart is not pure. I have worshipped what is false. I have sworn deceitfully. I need you to fix it. You know, it looks like they lost out. <laughs> and there's that beautiful irony of God, right? Because what the powerful people thought they were doing was just the opposite. They weren't getting rid of Jesus. They were actually providing salvation for those who cling to him, for those who seek him and seek his face, those are the people who receive righteousness from the God of their salvation because in their crucifixion of Jesus, that's where our salvation was provided. Uh, that's how God looks away from the fact that we don't have clean hands and pure heart because Christ washes us clean in his blood. And what we should do is seek Seek the Lord. The last bullet there. To be saved, seek him. Seek his face. Turn to him and ask for his love. Ask for his forgiveness. Receive it with the open hands of faith. 
We don't come saying, I earned this, I deserve this. No, you are the God of my salvation. I need to be saved. Hosanna, help me. I willingly and happily call out to you. Well, there's one more sharp contrast in this text. It it looks like he's a humble nobody entering a hostile city. And again, this sort of sounds like two alternate truths because that's true. That's what it looks like. He's a guy who had to borrow a donkey and a bunch of uneducated poor people are yelling out praise of him and he's entering a hostile city. He will be arrested in a few days and put through a mock trial and as I have said, be crucified in this week. Um, He's a humble nobody, but you know what? The Bible reveals, yes, people still think that about Jesus, that he's a humble nobody, but the Bible reveals to us the word of God that, no, he's the king of glory. He's the Lord of hosts. And and that's so exciting, the end of this psalm. Look at how it works here. What is the reality of what's going on? What is the actual reality? What looks like the borrowed donkey, the poppers calling out to him, and he's, he's a nobody entering a hostile city. No, that's not the reality of what's going on here. What, what is really real is he's the king of glory. Can you, what does that even mean? What does the word glory mean? Well, the word glory actually means kind of a shining, a light, uh, something that emanates, something that's so good it dazzles you. Um, God has glory. He dwells in glory. You know, sometimes we say we're going to go to, we're going to go off to glory, referring to heaven. Heaven is a place that is. I don't know how to describe it, but it's better. <laughs> it's like way better. And you know, you and I, we're blessed and, and, and life is good. Uh, I, uh, you know, I just, I have 10 grandkids and six healthy children, nine, nine healthy, wonderful children and a, a mind that is not working too well. Uh, I have four daughters and <laughs> One time I said to one of my daughters, you're in my top five daughters. It's like, Dad, you only have four. <laughs> I've never lived down that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm very blessed, and life is very, very good. You know, it's pleasurable, enjoyable, and it's beautiful. Like, what are you doing in this building? Go out and look how beautiful it is. And I'll quit in a few minutes. <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. Heaven Heaven is glory. It's like way better. (laughs) Because everything you and I know is tainted with sin and brokenness and rebellion and, and, you know, bombings and rapes and starvation and famine. Uh, You know, this world is so broken, it breaks your heart. So we look for God's deliverance and salvation, and, and heaven is a place where it's all perfect and, and infinitely awesome 
ecstasy and, and, and joy and forever, forever. I mean, can't even explain it. Can't even explain it. And he's the king of that! He reigns supreme over that! You know, can anybody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! hallelujah. You know, you better get used to praising God if you're going to go to glory. Because we're going to be praising God. You're the king of glory. Hallelujah. You know, every, every, every human being we think is pretty darn cool. Every person who receives an Oscar, <laughs> the Academy Awards, <laughs> the Grammys, <laughs> you know what they are? They're, they're the king of polyester. <laughs> they're the king of what is false and unreal and, and temporary. Temporary. And they are sinners. I mean, I, I was so happy when the Academy Awards screwed up so royally on the best picture, weren't you? I said, yes! <laughs> they're so human. It's so nice to see once in a while. You know, best picture... La La Land. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Okay. Moonlight. <laughs> Sounds like something we do, right, Jeremy? <laughs> What's my point? My point is, by comparison, these, these powers that be in Jerusalem were nothing compared to the one they crucified. They're nothing. You're the king of nothing. You, oh, powerful man. You, you have nothing. You turn to God. He's the king of glory. I mean, the words here are so rich and glorious. It, it, what, what's happening in verse 7? There's an interesting personification because you, you don't really talk to rock walls very often. You don't necessarily talk to big, huge gates but you're going to personify them. They're going to be people for a few seconds. And you're walking up to this rock wall and stand at attention. <laughs> Somebody worthy is coming through. You open up for the king. You know, that's what it says. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? What's, what's going on in that question? You know, there's, there's confusion. What? No, no, what? He's, he borrowed a donkey. <laughs> these paupers, these uneducated riffraff are yelling at him. Hosanna. He's not the king of glory? Who, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you who he is, right? Let me just tell you for a second. Look at that verse 8. Sorry. The Lord, that's Yahweh. When you see it in the English Bible, all caps like that, it's the name, Hebrew name of God. Yahweh, strong and mighty. He can do whatever he pleases. He is the one who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Every molecule is derived and dependent upon this king on the donkey. He's sustaining it all by his power. It doesn't exist outside of him. <laughs> wow! He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Yahweh, 
mighty in battle. We can trust him. He's the mighty warrior. He will win. And yes, what appears to be true now is not the ultimate reality. It, it is true. Evil wins lots of battles, but they have not won the war. They will not win the war. And it is God's will that they win any battle they win. As hard as that is, but that's what the Holy Word teaches. As he works all things after the counsel of his own will. The way he's already decided for it to be, that's the way it will be. That's how mighty and amazing he is. I quote Ephesians 1.11. And here he's personifying the gates again. Oh, lift up your heads, O oh gates. <laughs> you, you tired city. The city of God. Mount Zion. Don't give up. Lift up your heads. Strengthen the feeble knees. Jesus is coming. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who, who is this King of glory? Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts. That's saying he's the Lord of all capabilities. Nothing sets back his ability to perform his gracious will. He is the king of glory. The word of God says, Colossians 2.9, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It didn't look like it, but it was true. Summing it all up, friends, he is the means of our salvation. He's the all-powerful God. Uh, nothing is too powerful. Nothing overcomes him. He's the victor. We can trust in him, put our faith in him completely. And you know what? It's in him and in him alone. Because he doesn't need any help. <laughs> you know, let's say you're in a hurry to get to New York and you take off from... Uh, SJC, the airport, and you know, you're kind of running late. And you, you, hey, pilot, you know, I'm in a hurry. I'll get out and help push the plane. <laughs> you know, that's what it's like to try to help God save you. You can't do it, you're just going to perish in the attempt because He's Almighty, and it takes an Almighty, infinite God to save us. So, on this Palm Sunday, just in your heart, say, Hosanna, save me, please. And, and for us believers, we've said that, we need to say it again. <laughs> Lord, save me from my sinfulness, save me from my immaturity, help me to grow up to be the woman of God, the man of God, you, you, you've left me here on the earth to be. Amen. Father, hear our prayer, help us to be those who seek you, the generation, the offspring, those birthed to seek you and help us to worship you and you alone and encourage us, O oh Father, we pray with your, your great word that you are not the king of polyester. <laughs> you are the king of glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.
future. Oh. 